0: So I I applied for the DYCP, the Arts Council Develop Your Creative Practice and that's really like just given me a real kick to, to write loads to be honest and so I've given myself three full days when Amber's at school to write and just write myself as well, like start ideas from scratch without needing... And other, you know, other people. And for that, for me, has been, I don't know, just a game changer, really. So yeah, I've got about 17 songs now that I've written.
1: Welcome, you're listening to the Town Sounds Oral History Podcast. This episode is entitled It All Sounds the Same Modern Popular Music in Kirklees. Ruby Wood was speaking in the intro of this episode. This podcast series has been developed from an oral history collection. This has resulted in the focus of the series being on that of the history of local music. Over the course of the series, we have heard from music projects that continue to run, but up until now, the episodes have been filling in the gaps of what music in Kirklees used to be like. The Oral History Collection contains 51 in-depth oral history interviews, all of which can be accessed at the West Yorkshire Archive Service. Many of the people who we interviewed no longer have a connection to the local music scene. Instead, they look back fondly, and sometimes with rose-tinted glasses, on the music scenes of the past. People would often say things like, Modern music hasn't got any melody, the town centres are dead now, there's no music scene here anymore, and the most common of them all, modern music all sounds the same. I'm here with today's guests to set the record straight. Martin Chung to tell us more.
2: Like it's got all this great culture, and you know, a lot of people like you know, like there's a lot of people who do champion it, but there's a lot of people that shout about how rubbish it is or how violent it is, and how crap the town centre's got. And these are often people that never go into the town centre. They just maybe read front page of like the you know local online paper or something, and they get they get an idea. So there's there's things happening, and there's people doing stuff.
1: Previous episodes have glimpsed into 100-year-old festivals, and even older choirs, rock and roll from the 50s and 60s, ancient folk music styles, and community organisations, some of which no longer exist. But today, we're going to look at what has been happening throughout more recent years in modern popular music. We'll go as far back as the early 90s, but try to stay even closer to now than that. I'll be speaking exclusively to people that are still on the scene right now, making music, performing, touring, writing, playing and organising. The person that opened up this podcast was Ruby Wood from Submotion Orchestra, Extracurricular and Ruby Wood. Then we heard from Martin Chung of Jar Wobble, New Popes, Ruby Wood and Extracurricular. You might be sensing a theme here already, so I'll keep going with that. We'll hear from Rob Bradley of Jack Flash, Extracurricular and Rob Bradley. And Nigel Kudjo of Savvy, A Saviour and the Saving Grace Collective. And finally, Pat Fulgoni, who is a prolific singer of drum and bass and the lead singer of Carver Carver. We've got a lot to get through today. More music is being made, produced, and released than ever before. Within that music, there's a huge, diverse range which I can't hope to capture today. So where do I start? Well, you might remember at the end of episode 6 on Community Music, Sean Leonard talking about Martin Chung and Ruby Wood and other local luminaries on the scene, as he put it. I didn't have time to talk about it then, but I promised I'd get back to it. Well, this is that moment. We'll start with Martin Chung and we'll probably come back to him a few times. Martin is known locally by every musician that knows anything at all about the local music scene. I must have heard his name hundreds of times before I actually met him. An incredible guitarist with a vast range of skills in a number of genres. He's going to bring us back to where we left off in episode six. Martin was raised by his single mum. Money was hard, but they always found time for music. She noticed Martin was keen on playing the piano and that is where the story starts.
2: My my mum decided to sort of arrange for me to have some keyboard lessons at which was Wood's music shop at the time. They had a Yamaha music school in the basement. The tutor would sort of go around and sort of check up you were learning the piece but generally people were just hitting the percussion and DJ buttons like all the time. My mum did actually decide to learn guitar so she started going to lessons at um, what was called Di Maurizio Music in Milne's at the time. It was run by a guitarist tutor called Maurizio Miele. It was quite popular at the time. This is going back to, yeah, mid-90s. Bands could go down and rehearse, you know, sort of jam down there. He had a studio set up. It was a shop. That was where I started going for lessons down there. I just liked the guitar. I liked everything about it. I thought it looked cool. I thought the potential of the sounds, you know I thought how you could make it sing more of a melody almost almost as a lead instrument. I never really sort of thought like it's bashing chords out you know the first time. I just thought you can do just a lot with it.
1: At some point, Martin began working at GTR Guitars, a local musical instrument shop specializing in guitars. He was also going to college at Highfields.
2: Like this was nineteen ninety nine, year two thousand, the shop really started to take off. I was able to get a full time job working there, just sales assistant. So yeah, I had time in between to sort of play guitar and practice, which I was always constantly hounded and chastised about by <laughs> Marcus who was like it like, wasn't <laughs> I wasn't meant to. But, like, I met a lot of kind of, you know, there was a lot of people coming in at that time, because it was kind of, internet was there, but, you know, internet selling wasn't a thing, you know.
1: Martin was regularly heading down to the Head of Steam, which ran a very popular music night, which all the local music students used to go to, as well as a wide variety of other people from around the area. In regularly attending that night, he met like-minded musicians and as a result joined and left several bands. And
2: we were looking for a singer at one point and then I remember Matt ringing me up on the phone and just being like, listen to this guy, we found our singer. And there's this, and he's just like holding the phone up, guy singing Joe Cocker with a little help from our friends and it was Ross Taylor. And I remember Ross coming to GTR in, this would have been 2000 and two just like sidling into the shop and, and going like hey you looking for a singer around that time or just after we used to go to Vox Bar quite a bit and we set up this jam night there where it was just a bit of fun to play we were all between bands I guess you'd say and kind of started meeting more players from that Athol Ransom used to come down but bit, Haggis Horn, sax player. Sally Edwards, uh, trombonist, is who now plays in clonk. Another guy, Tom Austin, a trumpet player, used to come along. So then there then seemed to be this brass section like coming to these jams. We had keyboard player, Stephen Beaver, would come down and play keys. So yeah, then we got offered, a, there was a gig came in at Marsden Jazz Festival. And so I said, right, I'll put together a band that was like the first gig for New Popes, basically. Um, on the night, it turned out that Athol couldn't do it because Haggis Horns had started to get pretty big at that point. Mand and Sal came in as the brass section because Sally knew Athol from playing in Carver, like Carver Carver thesis the sort or of tour, be on the road together. So we knew them from like the jam nights as well. So it was kind of already a, a half formed thing, anyway. Clinton on bass. Uh, Matt on drums, beeves on keys, and so that first gig was Mars in Jazz Festival 2005, so that was like the first New Newport gig. <laughs>
1: music we can hear is a martin chung guitar solo on a wad cutter track the band which is very new hosts beeves on keys ross taylor is singing ben Wallbanks is on the drums and andrew beresford is playing bass at this point we're going to veer off from martin and his infinite bands we'll come back to him later martin mentioned carver carver there so whilst we're at it let's fill in our knowledge about that band to do that i spoke to the lead singer and songwriter pat fulgoni
3: Well, I'm from an immigrant family. I'm Italian-Irish, so we would have accordion music from my dad's village. And I guess I kind of quite like pop music, really. From the radio, I I think one of my first gigs was the Electric Light Orchestra. I I sung in church, in the choir. That that helped. Um, And at school, I was always interested in singing. That kind of helped me get into um, being a a lead singer. I formed um, my band Carver Carver. Some of the other lads had been on the courses on courses at the Polytechnic and um, we stayed around and um, honed our craft. And, and uh, we had a good innings. We uh, toured Europe, Asia, United States, played Glastonbury Festival umpteen times. But it was a psychedelic band initially and we started with cassettes in the 90s and got to play loads of festivals abroad. That led to a showcase at the Marquee Club in London and a two-album deal with a label called Delirium Records, who were famous for bringing to the world large acts like Porcupine Tree and other proggy, psychedelic stuff. I guess the NME, New Musical Express, got it right when they said we were like um, a four-piece new psychedelic band in the mould of King Crimson. But if George Clinton from Funkadelic was in them, we were fascinated with blending rock and funk and soul with electronic beats. So we'd expanded to like a six piece with a horn section. And um, I released the album, got some really, really good reviews. And I managed to get the music into film and TV shows in the States, like um, Friends star Courtney Cox's Dirt series. That had a couple of tracks in it. Uh, Weeds, John from Cincinnati. Uh, an outrageous film called *Boys and Girls Guide to Getting Down*, which featured Meghan Markle. Would you believe? Um, we used to rehearse in a, in a in a house that we all lived in. I apologise to the neighbours right now. We'd just blag people with vans. You know, we hardly had any equipment either. So it was it was all a bit of a, a DIY thing. But there were fun times, particularly abroad. Things started picking up when we were able to get in a van and tour places like the Czech Republic really kind of helped hone hone our sound and then and then it all got a bit more serious when people started um, paying for air tickets and uh, you know we got to do gigs in China for example I ended up being offered a slot at the Beijing MIDI festival for my band and I went back in 2007 and played at a student festival there was like something like 20,000 students partying in front of us which was something that perhaps we weren't led to believe was possible.
1: That was a track by Carver Carver, called Funked Up and Freaked Out. Right... Well, we've dipped our toes into Carver Carver and Pat Fulgoni now. We'll be hearing more from him later, and in our next episode all about the jazz and blues scene, which Pat is playing a part of at the moment. But we must keep moving, because despite the title of this episode, modern music does not all sound the same, and there's a lot more to cover. During this time of new perspectives on jazz, blues, funk, soul, rock and dance, which we've already covered, there was something else rumbling in the belly of new music. A breaking of the usual conventions of songwriting, a stirring of the pot, throwing completely new ingredients into the mix. This was heavy and striking, bold, controversial and powerful music, and at least to start with, black
4: abandoned all hope you enter here I hope the floor like the earth is fair. black marketers, back down to years big crystal clean up compare. you know
1: there's something missing real, real. I got you here so I'm hoping that you listen you brace your intuition I break
4: down like division got the picture to define we had music in the family more like Soca, Calypso. my dad played in a band for a little bit before he like he met my mum. learn an instrument learn learn the keyboard from my sister's second hand keyboard. I also got to play the violin in school, but I just had a terrible music teacher. That made me hate it. Yeah, so music was music was definitely in the household. There was a record player and there was records, there was vinyl and stuff like that. And late secondary school where I found like hip hop and that would have been NWA at first. My mate going, Have you heard these lot? they call themselves like <laughs> <my> bros. <brother." laughs> And then we were like, "What?" It's like, "Yeah, with Nike." Oh, Do you know what I mean? So it was kind of like as a as a the black male story in America, the black male story in the UK. You know, all these things of racism, whatever. It's still all there, but it's it's UK it's far more subtle and far more nuanced, and America's way more obvious and way more physical and brutal. And you know, the police are killing people literally and stuff. So when uh, the police came out and we knew what was going on with Rodney King and all that kind of stuff and it was like all right you first realizing this is a voice like me realizing that this is these people can it allows them to speak where nowhere else they they wouldn't be able to speak nowhere else and it's so powerful that everybody wants to listen to it now and then it was like oh well that gives them power even the word it's up to and it's each to their own but even the word the n-word that's got to a point now where some people say it, but generally, it's a, a black word, kind of. Generally, black people can call each other, but if someone else does it, you get you, you might get slapped. Okay? That is rooted in hip-hop. It was taking ownership of the word, flipping it, and now we own it and we run it. Do you know what I mean? So there was, all of those types of things appeal to me. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't just the music. It was also the ability to, uh, I don't know, beat the system or... The powers that be, you can't stop me, that kind of thing. That appealed to me.
1: This is Nigel Kudjo, who goes under the name Savvy, and before that, a saviour. The music was The Hour of the Wolf by Savvy. He made his first album, A Borrowed Ladder, by a saviour, in London after moving there for a short while within a sandwich of northernness.
4: I was on sofas. I didn't have a home for like half the album. <laughs> but I, had to make, I was making the album. Hella high water, and there was a time when I was just like literally sleeping in the engineer's sofa. It was all a bit touch and go. I was like making the album from all corners of London, so I was kind of like scampering around London just just trying to make it happen and make it work and finish this album. Like, we'd be gigging and touring and stuff with, with Jess and other people, but that didn't pay enough. I mean, I'm on stage in Brixton Academy, and, and people are rapping my lyrics back to me. That's mad. I didn't get the London bug in the way some of the other people got it. I did very much view London as me versus London, <laughs> rather than I'm going to become a Londoner. Do you know Like I was very much held on to my Northern identity and, do you know, every shop I was how much? I guess my motivation for leaving London was the, the desire to build my own, to bring it back home. Kind of, I treated London like work experience almost. I'm going to build something and treat people how I want to be treated. And also, if I make a label, it can't just be about music. It can start that way, but it needs to grow. So I finished my The A-Loop Theory album and headed north. And then I put The A-Loop Theory out from Huddersfield and used the press in London. And, and we swept it. It was like... Double page in the Metro, double page in Hip Hop Connection, this and that. Like, we really did really, really well. Like, the best, it's the best press up sweep I've ever had. Even better than The Borrowed Ladder, even though The Borrowed Ladder is considered more of a cult classic, kind of. The A-loop Theory came out on Saving Grace. It was almost like the flagship release to, to really drive the drive the uh, label forward.
1: The music in the background there was From Huddersfield to Hollywood by Savvy. Nigel came back to Huddersfield and started record label and music collective Saving Grace. Saving Grace Music is a creative imprint and talent development hub, producing aspiring, developing and established artists, releasing, marketing, promoting and distributing creative works in the fields of music, video, art and fashion. The Saving Grace Collective is a non-profit organisation working with people from a variety of backgrounds and circumstances locally, regionally and nationally. Nigel still makes music under the name Savvy as well, but he's by no means the only accomplished rapper on the scene. Around the same time as Saviour released A Borrowed Ladder, local rapper Rob Bradley was releasing tracks under the name Jack Flash.
5: There was a time where Huddersfield very much was the edges of the world so when I started to get into music, I was very much just sort of what the rap music at the time, it made you stand out. And I think it made you stand out in Huddersfield, especially, because I don't think that many people, and at that time, had that many ambitions to sort of pursue uh, rap music. Poetry and, and music was, were like the two things that have always made sense and always continue to make sense. There was one point where I used to go down to a studio in Huddersfield, which is no longer there, called Connected Two. I met a whole host of people there. And then somebody asked us to come up to this event, which was going on. And it was, we're talking 2002, 2003 or something like that. And there was some breakdancers on. And then there was a rap cypher. And I jumped in the cypher. And it was the first time like i rapped in front of people. It blew my mind because like it, people were encouraging me. And, I was, and it was the first time that had happened. People I didn't know from different areas in Huddersfield, which might as well have been from different countries because well, I didn't go to many different areas because you didn't have a car and, and a bus journey was, you know what the buses are like. So <laughs> the next 10 years after that, I cut my teeth and learned about my craft in the Huddersfield scene. There was a, an energy and a hunger for it and an interest and I got to be really involved in that in that scene as well, which was, which was really nice. And then kind of established myself in that scene. And it's a small town and it's like, if you're into music and and you're into going out, the stuff on the fringes was like only ever centralized around a few venues. So everybody would see each other and cross paths and drum and bass scene, hip hop scene, then going into the rock scene. There's a thread that run between all of them. You know, all musicians kind of would know each other there were hip-hop nights which were running one of the first was at the club rhythms in indigo again when i was 16 used to go in there they used to have these triple brandies for about two quid and they served you if you looked older than 11 and we did our first kind of handful of gigs in there and then over time uh, there used to be a night run at 122 which ended up becoming the most important venue in huddersfield and that night was called beats and pieces and that run for a few years, and that was really good for the local hip-hop scene, and there was open mics. So the hip-hop scene was really healthy in that time that I was kind of coming up in it. So the rap scene was healthy, that was good. This is like what led to me having a really eclectic band for a few years as well, extracurricular, which was musicians basically from different scenes who were a little bit aware of each other, all coming together and, and experimenting with something.
1: The astute local music lovers amongst you listeners might have worked out which direction I was heading with this. In 2009, or thereabouts, a new band entered the scene. Martin Chung, Ruby Wood, Tarbo, Noah Burton, Rob Bradley, Ball Z, Jack Button and Greg Nicholas are just some of the people who have played in the band over the years. Extracurricular is their name, and all the artists that played with them have gone on to do amazing things in their own right. This is their story.
5: You asked earlier about music education. I would say the time in that band was the biggest music education I had before. I could write raps and I could make beats, but I didn't know anything really about music composition until I worked with that band. And then that upped my game in terms of composing and writing and understanding, you know, musical language. And and that, and I did have an A-level in music production. I wasn't a stranger to it. But working with actual live musicians in... A diverse band I learnt so much this was our extracurricular activity we come together I was very intense and, and very motivated and ambitious about things and I think that translated into working hard I think we did you know we were all pretty much committed
2: But yeah I met Noah through that sort of scene like the bar 122 thing I didn't really know him properly if you know what I mean and him and Ruby came to a gig I remember meeting them like both for the first time and then I remember sort of seeing them like on posters and stuff as Ruby and Noah being like the the sort of duo and they seemed to sort of again sort of rise quite quickly into sort of doing a lot of gigs. They must have sort of wanted to put this band together. I always remember it, it being Noah who sort of approached me about Doing this band thing, Nora and Ruby, they're all like really disciplined, you know. About they're really hungry to do something, so it was like we would rehearse every week, and so we did a lot of writing. I remember it being like the first band that I'd been in, where we, there was a real focus on just like writing original songs.
0: I feel like we really paid our dues in that band. Like we did everything and anything, you know, and we we were all grinding, <laughs> you know, like. We used to rehearse every week. Everyone was writing songs. Like, we used to play to, like, one man and his dog in a pub. You know, like, we really did all of that. And I'm glad we did, because I think it, it kind of humbled us all, you know?
1: At the beginning of Extracurricular, there were two singers, Tarbo and Ruby Wood. Ruby Wood left the band early to pursue her career in the successful Leeds-based band Submotion Orchestra. She went on to tour with Bonobo, play at Abbey Road for ABBA, collaborate with The Naked Eye and do backing vocals for Marie Dalstrom. Recently, she has been ready to make her own music, releasing it under her own name. You can hear it live at Huddersfield's Onwards Festival on the 23rd and 24th of September 2023. Here she is explaining more for the Town Sounds collection.
0: I think my plan is to contact a few independent labels and release it under my own name, which I'm nervous about. Uh, So I've got a machine, have you heard of Native Instruments machine? But like I bought it years ago and kind of like just scratched the surface with it really and then it, I became a mum <laughs> and then I just got shoved in a drawer somewhere and then when I moved back I thought, I found it when I'd moved actually and I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to plug this in and start, you know, just experimenting and you can buy all these different sounds basically and so I've just got this like whole world of like different sounds and... So you can just go with no ideas, switch it on, open up the programme and then just start creating a little beat, get some chords in there um, and then I put that into Logic and then just start writing on top of that and for me, I don't know, I feel so proud (laughs) for for myself that I'm able to do that without the the need from anyone else. It's quite jazzy sounding, like R&B, some of the stuff sounds quite (laughs) 90s. I'm loving the process.
1: Yeah. When will the public be hearing
0: it? Hopefully soon. Ho- yeah, hopefully soon.
1: Well, soon has come. Here is My Favourite Song by Ruby Wood. For the years, Ruby has been in countless successful projects, starting with a local steel band. She's played through jazz, neo-soul, ambient electronica and dub. And she also teaches some very lucky students of music with junior jam. And this is one of the things about modern music and modern musicians. Usually they are versatile and have an eclectic taste in music. With access to music being the best it's ever been and genre probably as fluid as ever before, new musicians will not be boxed in. This brings us to Pat Fulgoni, who we heard earlier on in the podcast. The Carver Carver days are not done, but Pat has his fingers in other pies now, singing and performing live liquid drum and bass for people around the world.
3: I mean, I've sung on quite a few electronic genres before, like house music, you know, for labels like Subliminal, 2020, Dubstep, Techno. But I guess that's the, the, the genre that I've done most singing for in dance circles. And I've ended up singing with some leading producers. The first drum and bass release that I was on wasn't as a singer. It was as a keyboard player and it was for a label called Emotive. It, since then, it's been great to sing on singles for artists like Camel and Crooked, Technimatic, Murdoch, Logistics, London Electricity. And, I mean, these le- legends really pack the raves out these days. You know, there's a drum and bass tent at most major festivals and it'll always be rammed. And one, one highlight for me was my vocals on a Camel and Crooked track called All Night, closing celebrity Big Brother one year. And you kind of realise just how large the drum and bass scene has, has become since those early days of Ronnie Size and Goldie. You know, I feel very lucky to be continue to be asked to to sing on um, that kind of stuff. And I, I genuinely love the genre. It's, it's fantastic to get to sing on that kind of flow. There is something about 174 BPM, and if it's a soulful production, it's a really uplifting experience sometimes. A little known fact that we should talk about locally is that L Double, who is one of the legends of drum and bass, is from Huddersfield. And we should we should big Lee up because he was the voice of drum and bass for many years on One Extra.
1: The music we heard there was As One by Kino, featuring Pat Fulgoni. Well, that's about all we have time for today. Remember, if you missed anything in this podcast and would like to know more, with the description of this episode, you should be able to find all the information that was included. Follow us at Let's Go Yorkshire on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. See you next time.
0: This was a Let's Go Yorkshire and Sam H. Song production. The host and producer was Sam Hudson. The podcast has been supported by Kirklees Council, Kirklees Year of Music 2023 and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Town Sounds explores the musical histories of Kirklees to uncover untold stories through the voices of local people living musical lives. For more information on this podcast, please visit musicinkirklees.co.uk.